hello friends. This is an Apple Music interview version of the world-famous Emo Dad podcast. What does this mean? No music. Why? Apple doesn't let us play songs. Does it sound a bit weird when we introduce a song and nothing happens? Nah. But, you know, you still get the conversation and all the good times. For the full version, switch on over to Spotify and search Emo Dad. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone. I am super excited today because we have an exclusive, I think, interview with Ross Cummins from Symposium. I'm so excited I'm getting my intro all muddled up. You're listening to the Emo Dad podcast and my name is Matt. And my name is James. And this is The Answer to Why I Hate You by Symposium. Okay. Okay, we all good? Ready? Sitting comfortably? Yeah. All right, great. Let's go. Um, Ross from Symposium, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Emo Dad Podcast. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Really, you know, I'm actually quite a big fan of your podcast, you know. <laughs> I've, I've listened to that. I've listened to quite, quite a few of them. Like, well, obviously... You've done that interview with Will from Hell is for Heroes, which sure. was good. You had Larry on, didn't you, from 100 Reasons? We did. And you got Jonah on, unbelievably, from that band Far, innit? Yeah, you know, yeah, that, we did. That album, um, Water and Solutions, was a real kind of landmark album, really, I, I, I think. Um, love that, love that record. And then, and then also um, that Dampy Carter was a funny interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That one... The the Russian flag gym wipe incident. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. They, they, they were lucky to get out alive there, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think they were too. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. thank you. Thank you very much for listening to all of our and, interviews. Um, and also, the, the last one, that Matt Pryor one, you done the Get, you know, the get Up Kids, that was yeah. really funny. And they, they, it, what made me laugh is when you asked him that question, you were like, oh, what's your earliest memories? And he was like, oh, the animatronics band, like the Chuck E. Cheese pizza band. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I know about that. <laughs> I knew about that because I weird. watched this guy on um, on YouTube. Uh, he's called Jordan the Lion. And he goes around to random places in America. And that <laughs> was one of the places he went. And I was like, this is mental. It's like, a, I mean, for anyone who obviously hasn't heard that podcast you've done, that animatronics, what it is, is like a pizza parlor, isn't it? Where you bring your kids and you watch bears and sort of animals play music to kids while their parents drink beer and i thought you know what that there's a gap in the market i think in the uk for that no 100 percent. yeah no, no i'm into could it you, I'd be and, up for that yeah you could yeah, get them playing like 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 post hardcore to you know seven-year-olds well, while they're it. young yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that we'll just get them all in black t-shirts and stripy socks um on the bears yeah. and we're, <laughs> and we're yeah. winning yeah um, sorry, sorry, a bit, a bit of a tangent there, but it's, yeah, it's just to say, yeah, you know, nice one. 
uh, thank you so much. And mm. yeah, love a tangent. Sure, there'll be more of that uh, to come. <laughs> uh, now we, of course, have to turn uh, the same question onto you. What are your earliest memories of music? Oh, man. Like, well, I guess, you know, I guess it's just, you know, listening to the radio when I was younger. And um, I grew up in um, a sort of Irish, my, both my parents are Irish, right? So okay. all the music in our house was basically the Dubliners and like Irish folk songs. Wow. Um, so, yeah. And like where I grew up, I grew up in West London in a council flat. And mm -hmm. it was like, we were on the top floor. So there was just Irish music blaring out there. And the people downstairs from us, they were Irish. So they were doing the same thing. And then on the <laughs> bottom floor, um, we had a Jamaican family as well. And the um, my mate who lived in the bottom floor, his dad just was like well into music. So they just had loads of vinyl down there and he was just constantly playing like reggae and dub and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it was uh, sort of, yeah, you know, fair bit going on in our household, I think. Um, but you know, like my first sort of memories, I think of actually buying uh, records was probably when I was like maybe eight or nine, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, I used to sort of go to this shop on North End Road Market um, in West London called Ace Deals. And it was near where my granddad lived. So on Saturdays, that's sort of basically where I kind of hang out. Right. Um, but I, I remember it was, they had, a, they had a big German shepherd dog behind the counter. So like every, every time you went to the counter, to ask them a question or try and actually give them some, some money, this mm -hmm. dog would just jump out of nowhere, start barking and try and bite <laughs> your hand. So it was always a bit of, a bit of an unnerving experience, but um, yeah, you know, I, I, that sort of place became my, you know, my go-to place basically. I was just in there all the time when I was, when I was younger. And my first record that I ever bought was the Spitting Image album, uh, Spit in Your Ear, it was called. It came out in 1986. And um, I, obviously you guys know Spitting Image, right? And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was a big fan of the Chicken Song. And um, <laughs> I really liked the, uh, the sort of garish cover. It had like the Queen on the front, looking like a punk rocker. And, um, I, and I was just drawn to that, you know, I, I think, you know, even at that age, I could tell it was centre of left. You know, it was a little bit naughty. Right. Like the lyrics were a bit naughty, and I think <laughs> I think that's why I was drawn to it. Um, but yeah, like, and, and that shop as well. It used to sell like um, patches, you know, that you could sew onto your jacket and stuff. Yeah. And I, I collected them for a bit. Like I got all of like the Iron Maiden patches, like with Eddie on, and um, my mum used to sew them on for me. And I, I, I remember um, there. I, there was one patch I bought that um, it was quite a big one and it said mess. It was a skull. It was like a skull on the front, two guns and two rifles. And it said mess with the best die like the rest. And um, my, <laughs> my mum, she sewed it onto the back of my um, jean jacket and I was just bowling around like, you know, like a, like a little, uh, like a little punk rocker. And um I remember one trip down there on a Saturday, there was a bunch of kids who saw me with that coat on and they said, they, they basically tried to mug me and they were like, they're like, oh yeah, mess, mess with the best die like the rest day. And I was like, oh no. And uh, <laughs> luckily 
somebody in their gang knew me and said, oh, I'll leave him, he's all right, you know. But after that, I stopped wearing the jacket after that, actually. <laughs> I, put it, yeah. I put it away. But, yeah. But, um, yeah. So, like, that was kind of early, well, I suppose early, well, no, it was like 86 to 89 or something. I was sort of like, you know, going to that store and going there, you know, like they had loads of vinyl in there. So um, I was instinctively drawn to Iron Maiden just just from the kind of artwork on the cover, you know, just with right. Eddie, you know, it's just a, it's weird, isn't it? Like kids, even my kids are like this. I'm sure yours are as well, but they're just like anything to do with zombies or kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of death, <laughs> monsters or death and the yeah, destruction. It's kind of kids like that, isn't it? It's weird. Yep. So um, maybe that was like a strange marketing ploy by Iron Maiden, you know, to get kids when they're young oh. to like them, you know, and they're lifelong fans then. No. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, then by like sort of late 88, 89, that's when I started listening to mainstream kind of music, you know? So like, I mean, Iron Maiden were in there, um, U2, The Cult, uh, Guns N' Roses, obviously, um, Prince was actually a massive one for me. I, I really liked Prince. Um, and I, 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 nobody else that I knew liked Prince, but I, I really liked him. Um, and the Beastie Boys were massive for me. Loved them, you know, because they they were another naughty sort of band, weren't they? When they were yeah. in the 80s, they were a bit cheeky, weren't they? So I, I liked that. And um, and obviously Madness as well. So like Madness has been yeah. with me for, from, from day one, basically, um, you know, growing up... Um, just listening to that really um and also um like my friend next door he had a bigger brother and um when he'd go out we'd sort of go into his bedroom and he had loads of cds and we'd basically raid his cd collection and you know just start playing stuff while he was out um but he was massively into um stuff on 4ad records um so yeah um yeah so uh, that that was really that kind of opened the door for me because I, I I was able to listen to bands like the Pixies and um, Throwing Muses, uh, Gokdo Twins, Dead Can Dance, all those kind of bands, and they were they're pretty weird things to be listening to when you're sort of thirteen or twelve or whatever. I think I was twelve actually, wow. twelve or thirteen, and I remember just thinking this is weird shit. Like, what is this? But it, yeah, it, as I as I grew up as a as I've sort of morphed into a teenager, I was like, I felt like they were my bands that I could sort of say, well, yeah, no one else has listened to this. And by the way, I was always forcing music down people's necks at school. That's what I, you know, that's what I, that's just, that was like my little thing. I was like, yeah, this band, listen to them. They're well, you know, everyone, I suppose everyone's like that when they're younger, aren't they? But um, yeah, and then also bands like the Census Things as well and, and The Cure. Mm -hmm. um, the Cure, Cure was one of the first gigs I went to um, in Olympia. Um, actually, I went to see Prince before that. But, yeah, I think Cure was probably one of the first gigs I went to there. But, yeah. But, I mean, um, just staying on that 4AD thing, you know, like, all the Pixies artwork, all their covers, yeah. they, they were like... The guy that um, done their artwork was called Vaughan Oliver. And um, yes. when, we, when we were in Symposium... Um, on the second album, I was like, oh, we've got to get Vaughan Oliver to do the artwork. And everyone was just like, oh, all right then. So we, <laughs> we actually got in touch with him. And um, he, he designed, like, the artwork for um, 
one day at a time. Um, well, no, he didn't. I mean, he, he did, right? And right. Um, we went, and so we, we got invited down to the record label, 4AD. And um, he, he sort of said, right, lads, yeah, here's what I've done. And it, it was just a brick. Uh, that was the front cover, it was nothing else but a brick, a massive brick. And I loved it um, because I'm biased anyway, because I was like, oh, he'd done, he done all the pixie stuff. Everyone else in the band was like, what is this fucking shit? You know, like, I was like, and I was like, no, nah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. They're like, no, Ross, it's not. And I was like, no, nah, it, is. it is. Let's do this. And then for whatever reason, then obviously, I think he, we didn't go with him because I think he, he charged too much money anyway. But um, there's a funny story in this because <laughs> um, I used to do this whenever I go to any labels or anywhere that had a basement with CDs in it. I'd always bring my backpack with me and okay. stock up on, on CDs and whatever they could give me, I'd take. So like when we were at 4AD, they were like, yeah, yeah, like here's some, you know, here's like some new releases. And oh yeah, like have you got this Pixies box set? Here's this Pixies box set. So I took, I got that and I took it away and I was like, I was like, oh, well, I've, I've kind of got all their albums, like, so I don't really need this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to make really regular trips to the Notting Hill um, Music Exchange. Yes. Don't know if you've ever been there. I have, yeah. I used to live, yeah. I used to live just around the corner. Yeah, yeah. No way. Are you in Notting Hill around that way? Yeah. Uh, yeah, or briefly. Camden? Or, yeah. No, yeah. no, yeah, Notting Hill. Yeah, no, I lived, well, I lived the Shepherd's Bush side of Notting Hill. Yeah. Just, just down the rough park. End. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> yeah. For about, uh, yeah, about five years, about twenty years ago. Mate, yeah. mate, shit. Were you people? You say, oh, where you say West London? They go, they sort of think, oh, but Shepherd's Bush in the eighties <laughs> and nineties was, was, it was dangerous, mate. It's terrifying. Absolutely it was terrifying. This, it, was, yeah. it was, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a safe place to grow up. Really, no. It, it was a weird. It was a funny place, but anyway, um. Yeah, so yeah, anyway, I used to make regular trips there to, mm-hmm. to there, you know, because you, it, they just used to make me laugh, the guys who work there, because you, like, you'd go there with some CDs and they, they'd look at it, you know, and this is before the internet days where they'd be like, right, and they'd be looking through all the record collector magazines like, as to how much this vinyl is going to cost or what, or like what, what, what they're going to give you for it and all that. And, you know, they'd sort of say, yeah, I'll give you, you know, five quid for this or, Ten pound exchange, and you get the vouchers, isn't it? That's right. They give you the vouchers, and then you could get more records. So I always used to take the vouchers, um, and what they used to make me laugh because, like, when you bring in things to them that they just they'd be like, "Oh, look, we don't know what this is worth." They put it all in a pile, and um, then they used to send you upstairs to this guy up there. I used to call him Merlin because he had a massive <laughs> beard and long hair. And he, he looked like a fucking wizard, basically, right? right? This dude, he knew his shit. And like, you went up there, he was surrounded by records. Uh, it was like something out of some, I don't know, fighting fantasy or games workshop sort of thing. Sure. And uh, yeah, and then you'd give it to him, he'd look at it and go, yeah, give you a quid for that. <laughs> yeah, but, but um, staying on the Pixies theme, I was at Hellas for Heroes gig, and I think in 2001 or two, maybe, like they played the Astoria. Okay. I don't know if um, you guys, um, I don't know if you might have gone or whatever, but it was, it was at the Astoria, it's like Hellas Heroes first ever kind of story gig. And um, I was standing there, yeah, and okay. Eddie Temple Morris was there, and um, Zane Lowe. Okay. And, uh, and we're in this group together, and uh, He's there because someone else knew him, or I don't know, something like that. 
And so I just started chatting to them. And it was before Zane Lowe had become like, he's proper big now, isn't he? You know, he's yeah. like a mega, mega DJ. I think he was on XFM then or something. And he just said to me, he said to me, Ross, Pixie's box set. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. He's like, you sold that to me when I used to work in the Notting Hill uh-huh. <laughs> Music Exchange. No and, way. Uh, yeah. And because uh, he, and, and, and I said, oh, yeah. I said, you used to work, you were there, didn't you? He goes, yeah. And, uh, and he bought that off me. Um, and, uh, but I, did, I, didn't, I didn't take the money. I'd done exchange, man, because, you know, yeah, I'm, a sure. vinyl, I'm a vinyl junkie, you know, got, got the bug. But that was funny. That kind of made me laugh. I was like, it's a small world, man. It's a small world. You know? It's like, I'd always do that. Any, any place we went, I was always downstairs, like looking at music. You know, it's the same when we were at Infectious Records, like called a Marshall, the guy who went that, and he'd sort of say to me, uh, I'd say, I'd call, can I go downstairs? and be like, yeah, go on, go down and have a, have a route round Ross. And then I'd go downstairs and the guys who would be working there, would just they'd get a bit annoyed with me because they'd be like, look, we've got to sell this stuff, Ross. Stop and there was a bloke who worked down there called um Stuart Camp and he was a lovely man actually um but he always used to say look Ross no and I, and I would say no go and ask Corder he said it's all right it's all right go on go on <laughs> and um he actually turned out to um he's done really well for himself now he's like um what's it he manages uh your man uh oh Ed Sheeran Ed Sheeran. Oh, uh, really? So, so he's he's gone from being in a basement, having to put up with some cocky knobhead asking for CDs, <laughs> to being very successful uh, man in his own right and uh, fair play to him, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, having to do. I love with it. Her. I love to see that the transformation, you know, from you know people like Zane Lowe, that you know they're music heads. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People that have gone from working in basements to actually, you know, just making it and doing music for a job wow you know that's it's amazing to me man yeah sorry, sorry, sorry I'm, going, I'm, I'm probably talking too much sorry but, no yeah. No, no, I'm enjoying every second of uh, the world of um, the early 90s in London Mate. record exchanges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good because you know as well, don't you? Because you're from that way then. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember and, it well. And like, uh, yeah, and like, um, you know, yeah, mixtapes was my thing, you know, like, like um, at, one, at one point in the 90s, early 90s, I was a member of every single library in London uh because okay. uh, not for books not for books but to get cds uh, yep. and I, I used to go around all of them and, and get them and you know what had the biggest selection of cds was um kensington library and uh barbican library that was a massive selection i used to get loads of stuff from there and then okay. i'd make mixtapes give them to my friends and um you know the songs were they were my friends <laughs> <laughs> but 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 yeah, like that's just and now like with Spotify, I'm sport of choice, I'm like a kid in a kid in a sweet Yeah, shop, I bet sweet you shop. are. Do you um this is something we talk about because obviously everyone we talk about we talk to on this podcast is a certain age, but do you feel like do you feel like it's a good thing, the accessibility of mm. so much music at the touch of a button? Whereas obviously when we were growing mm. up you knew about things via mm. your mates telling you or accidentally stumbling across yeah. something or yeah yeah no everything today is just very immediate isn't it it's like um yeah like when we were growing up you'd kind of have to do a bit of delving and digging wouldn't you or a bit of investigation would have to be done um yeah and if you 
Yeah. Or like if you if you decided you were going to buy an album for twelve quid, quid that was an investment, wasn't it? Yep. You know, you, you'd buy it and you better like it because if you don't, that's it. It's stuff. You, 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 that's it, isn't it? Right? And yeah. you can take it back. I yeah, know, yeah. Like and I now, think you give um you give more time to something because you've spent so yeah. much money on it. Yeah, like yeah, I, I really like bothered to listen and invest in things, whereas yeah. now I feel like. I'm quite quick to be dismissive if something isn't mm. um, immediate, which I know isn't immediate. great, but it's easy to but, do uh, when there's so much. But it's the whole thing, isn't it, with the uh, with the way things are now. Everything's just like a click, 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 you know, scroll, yeah. scroll, scroll, and like immediate hits, you know. But saying that, um, you know, I think, it, I mean, we're living in the best times for um, for, for music, you know. Yeah. you can everything is there if you're a music fan it's ridiculous right you know spotify's um it, it, you know i think they've got a bit of a bit of a way to go maybe uh, on yeah. spotify with I, I don't even know how it works man to be honest but i know that basically you get a penny for every 100 plays or something stupid like that but um <laughs> like fans always need to be paid more and they never are and that's just the way it's been since day one unless you're like a massive bank right but yeah. um yeah streaming's great i love it um if you're a music fan you know you're gonna buy the record anyway aren't you you're gonna listen to it anyway so you know there'll always be music fans who will be listening to albums and not just tracks but um also i think like you know i, I feel sorry to a bit for kind of bands that are just starting out now you know because you're having to compete with the whole of rock and roll history. It's like in <laughs> yeah. our day, in our day, it'd be like, you kind of knew who was into what by just sort of looking at them, you know, like right. you'd be like, oh, you're grungers, you're hardcore kids, you're hip hop kids, you're, uh, I don't know, R&B kids or um, whatever, right? You, uh, that's kind of how it was in the nineties. It was really clear divide, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but now, it's sort of like everyone just listens to, and it's a good thing almost really, everyone listens to everything, don't they? You know, like you've yeah. got kids these days who go, yeah, I like, um, I like the Get Out Kids, but I like Billie Eilish and I like um, this song from the 50s and this band from the 60s. And, and I've got a big playlist now, of just songs that I just like um, that I just play uh, on repeat or whatever. But yeah, you wonder sometimes at how many how many people are actually delving into the albums and appreciating them, but who knows, man. But yeah, like I say, you're a music fan, you're going to delve in. So fair play. I mean, I remember when um, in the early noughties, when um, Symposium had ended and all that, and I got a job in, um, luckily, when Symposium ended, it, it was almost like, uh, I was like, oh no, I've got to figure out how I'm going to pay my rent and yeah. feed myself. And oh, I don't even have a job. What am I going to do? Luckily, my mate got me a job working in um, a telecoms company. And uh, I, I, I didn't know anything about IT or anything like that. And um, I thought, well, where do all the, the where, where do the sort of uh, freaks sort of work at these companies? <laughs> and they all work in, they all work in the basement, in the data center um, downstairs. Yep. Right? And uh, so I ended up down there and I got to IT. But at that point in the early noughties, all the dudes that were working there were all metalheads and like basically it's the alternative crowd were in the basement. It was like the IT crowd, you know, it was yeah. like that. And, uh, and I was just down there with them and I was like, they were like, 
oh, Ross, we can download all your tunes for free now on Spotify. You, you're in that band symposium, innit? Look at this, bam. And I was like, hang on a minute, let me, what? I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. Wow. And, then it, and then that's my first thing where, to, of streaming, where it's like Napster. And it was, right. it was just insane. People were going nuts, like downloading so much stuff for free. It was out of control, man. And um, I mean, it, things are a lot better now, aren't they? And you know, the streaming services are brilliant. But it's funny, isn't it, to think that the early days, it was like just the Wild West, wasn't it? Uh, things like Soulseek, Napster, and like all these. What is it? Yeah. Kazar. <laughs> Kazar. Yeah. yeah, all that. But that's, a, that's history, isn't it? You know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Speaking of which, we should probably play a song because we've been natting for a little while. Um, we've talked about the Pixies a lot. Would you like to maybe select a, a favourite from the Pixies for everybody? Um, yeah, we could do. Um, or did you have something else in mind? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, the Pixies <laughs> is a good song. Uh, the Pixies, yeah. You could play Here Comes Your, Your Man. Okay, let's That's do nice that. Song. Yeah, for sure. Okay, everybody, this is um, Here Comes Your Man by the Pixies. So let's go to the early years of Symposium. So when we, when we spoke to Will um, a few months ago, he told us that you guys basically started, I think it was in a like a, a, a youth club or something, and you were just basically jumping around on top of each other and making noise. Do, do you remember that? <laughs> Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what he was talking about there, man. What, what, what are your memories of that time? Man, I tell you what, right, listen, ever since I've been like, I don't know, if, ever since I heard rock and roll music, right, I wanted to start a band. And this happened before I went to secondary school. So before I went to secondary school, I used to go to this place called the Last Chance Centre in West London, Shepherd's Bush. And um, it, they changed the name of it, actually, because it was a little bit derogatory, you know. Did you like say the last, the last chance? <laughs> the last chance. Yeah. This is where you go on your last chance, and it's full of naughty children. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so they changed it to the Masper Centre, and it's still there to this day, um, you know. And thank, it's just, thank God for these kind of places, really, because it gave me access to music and instruments, um, amps, guitars, drums, it was all there. And um, it was just like, a, you know, a youth club where kids could play like football and whatever. But I was just there from day one, basically all the time, just in the music room. Anyone who wanted to play with me, I was like, yeah, come play with me. Well, you know, and so I started off in there, um, just making noise, basically um, playing drums. And then um, it progressed then to me singing. Um, so before I came to secondary school, I kind of came there with a vision in my head that I had to meet um, like-minded kind of people that I could potentially start a band with. And um, yeah, I remember like the first day at school really just going in and kind of, um, you know, trying to figure out who was who at our school. and. I kind of instinctively just looked at Haggot and was like, yeah, he's, he must like rock and roll. Or, you know, he must be into music. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just sort of went over to him first and was just like, oh, do you like Guns and Roses? He was like, yeah, I do. And then that was that. We just started talking about music, stuff like that. Then I met William. Um, he was kind of into like a lot of grunge bands. Um, then I met Joe. 
he was into like a lot of indie music and stuff like that. And then Wodge, and then that was it. And we formed like the band. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's it. Um, it took a little bit of time to get it all together. Um, but you know, like I had like a sort of, um, shared interest between all the members really, you know, like Hagop and me were well into our skating, like we're big skateboarders. Okay. So that was number one. We had like a love of skating and rock music. And, um, in at the, the sort of in the early nineties, the skate videos that were coming out back then, right? They were they were, had really good soundtracks, and they sort of influenced us as well, like to sort of the uh, a kind of you know it's another door opening basically to a world of sort of alternative music we didn't really know about. Um, and there were three main videos that that came, that came out, right? Um, one was called Streets on Fire. This is from San. This is the the skate label was called Santa Cruz um, Streets on Fire. That came out in 1989, and it actually had Jason Lee was like the main character. He was like a you know, one of the first proper street skating videos. And on that soundtrack, um, it had like Sonic Youth, The Minutemen, Black Flag, Firehose, like Descendants, Palehead. Um, so that was you know that opened the door a bit for us. Then there was another video that came out in 1990 called H, H Street. It was on H Street Skates, like Hocus Pocus. And that was the big one for us um, because on that soundtrack, you had Operation Ivy, Pennywise, Bad Religion. Do you remember that um, album Generator? Yeah. Um, it was that, that sort of era. Descendants were on their bad brains, Handy with Shovels. Nice. But then there were these, um, these other two bands on that um, sort of, uh, video as well called Kirk and the J- Kirk and the Jerks, and um, they get zero plays on Spotify. They are on Spotify, but I, I'd, I'd advise anyone to go and check them out. Like a proper good rock, rock band, Kirk and the Jerks, and um, another band called Wonderful Broken Thing, and um, they were really good. And another band on that amazing video, the soundtrack was so good. There's another band on that called The Cry. Uh, that's an emo name, if ever I heard one. Right. Um, <laughs> And they were good. They were really good. And then lastly, there was another video called um, Useless Wooden Toys that came out in 1990 as well. And there's a band called The Odd Numbers who, um, who were on that. And, and The Odd Numbers are a little bit like Symposium in the way that they're quite poppy, but okay. they've got a little kind of bit of an edge to them. So that's... Sorry if I'm talking too much about... No, no, no that, mate. That, that was... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we could talk kind of, all day about skateboard videos trust oh, me <laughs> so you know okay good so like yeah so that was it really you know and we got into a few got like fugazi was a big one for us as well like like it was for everyone really you know like 13 songs was basically like a precursor to Nevermind for yep. us you know because it, it 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 opened that door like you know to the whole american hardcore scene all those bands on epitaph and you know all dc stuff like um black flag and Mind of Brett, Huskadoo, Descendants. Uh, I think I've talked about them already, but um, yeah, Dead Kennedys as well. I like, really loved them. Like, I loved Jellabar with style, you know, his singing style and all that. So um, it, it was like a, it was a bit of a moment where we were like, oh, cool, you know, like, well, maybe we don't have to be like Guns N' Roses. We don't have to actually be able to play our instruments that well. It's all about kind of attitude yep. uh, ma- mainly. Um, and that was quite empowering for me as a, as a young man um but yeah and as well as well i got um had a video like a minor threat video that we always used to watch and and sort of study 
and uh, that I think it was at some club in like Washington DC or something and uh, yeah it was just like pure chaos you know people jumping on stage different people grabbing the mic singing stage diving all that and um you know we really like that whole kind of DIY thing as well that you know you, you can do it yourself you know you can if you want to do a gig you just 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 organize it and do it and that was something that we that we done basically we're like right well we'll do it then so we organized loads of gigs on our own in various places because we were too young to sort of play anywhere else so we just used to kind of hire halls and play to our mates really yeah and when, and when you were so when you started playing all those shows and things um were you, you were already doing your own music at that point or was were you kind of doing yeah covers it was mostly like we were playing covers a lot Mm. Yeah, we were just playing on Mind Fret and stuff like that. And, um, you know, some of the sort of grunge bands that we liked at the yeah. time as well. And, uh, yeah, all that sort of stuff, really. And we didn't, um, we went to so many good gigs, man. Like back in the early 90s, man, like I, I'll list some of them off now, right? We saw, um, so when Operation Ivy, I mean, we just got into them at like 1990. We were, we found out about this band called Operation Ivy, got into them. And then they, we found out they split, they split up. But then we found out that there was another band, Rancid, um, mm-hmm. that had Tim Armstrong in. And um, we found out about this. And I, don't know, I don't even know how we found out about it, but I think it might have been Haggard told us that they played, um, we went to this, they played at the um, Dome in Tufnell Park. Wow. Um, and this is in 90, maybe 92 or three, maybe, 90, I think it was 92, man. Um, and... Uh, a band called Understand supported them. Yeah, I, I know them. They were yeah, they played yeah. with um, Jetpack, didn't they? Quite a lot. Mm. Um, That's right. And the Larry's singer from that band, band um, the singer from that band, uh, he, he, he tour managed A. That was it. I think yep. he tour managers Muse now. But yeah, and we went to that, and that was like there was no one there. It was just like a few punks there and stuff. And um, that was pretty, pretty, pretty good show. We saw Rage Against. You know, do you remember when Rage Against the Machine played on the World? Okay, um, they yeah. played um, "Killing in the Name," and uh, the week after that, they played the, the London University in London, Yulu in London, um, and that was a nuts gig, man. That one, that like was packed out, and it was just we were dying, like we were just little kids getting squashed to fuck in the mosh, and uh, <laughs> I don't know how we survived, but it was them. And Headswim supported them actually. Headswim uh, supported Rage. Is that they did? But yeah, wow. but Headswim they were a different band. When they first started, Headswim were like Soundgarden. Is that and right? Then, and then, yeah, like they've got their first EP was amazing, like amazing. And then they, but then in the nineties they went all kind of like the Verve or something, didn't they? Mm. But in in it, when they first started, they were like properly like Soundgarden or something like that. Um, but yeah, we went to loads of those sort of gigs like that, and like saw you know all the grunge bands, Smashing Pumpkins, Pearl Jam, um, Sonic Youth. Uh, like just so many bands, um, mostly at the as well the Astoria. We went to see a lot of bands there, you know. Um, and then we used to go to a lot of gigs as well in um, this place called the Russell Arms in um, sort of Mornington Crescent. Um, there's a label called Two Pure, um, and they had like a lot of sort of bands that were kind of like almost like Riot Girl bands and stuff like that, or like Huggy Bear used to play there and um, bands like that. And we met Thurston Moore there once. At this, it was this called the Sausage Machine Club, and he was there on a Sunday, and um, yeah, he just played there on his own. Just got up on his own, played there, and um, we, we couldn't believe it. And I, I, we we kept buying him pints all night. And he was walking around with two beers in his hand, just walking about. 
because people just kept buying pints. I remember that. And nice. animals that swim, they played there as well. <laughs> um, animals that swim, um, they were like an indie band that lived next door to William. But the singer of that band was a bit of a guiding force for us. Hank, he he kind of he taught me a few things like how to hold a mic and stuff, and okay. <laughs> how to swing yeah. it around. <laughs> yeah, how to smash a mic up. Yeah. Um, uh, so across, like, I mean, we'll, we'll obviously get onto like the albums and things in a moment, but across the career with Symposium, um, you you came out with so many different styles of music in different yeah. songs. And is, is that coming from all, like you've listed so many bad, like amazing bands that have sound like they've been a massive influence on you. Do you think that is because you were kind of into all those different bands? Um, and was all. it like a planned thing just to, you know, let's do a ska song, let's do a pop punk song, yeah. let's do a oh, screamo yeah. song, even though it wasn't a thing then, but. Yeah, no, good question that. And uh, that's the thing about us. <laughs> is that we actually didn't know what we were doing at all. We were like, mm. you know, we were we, we, like, you know, um, a lot of bands, you know, it takes them a while to find their sound. Um, yeah. And I think at the time we were so young, you know, we, did, we, 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 um, that we didn't really have a clear kind of agenda or even know what we wanted to sound like. I mean, we, we sort of wanted to sound like no effects, like the beefiness of no effects. But I tell you what we wanted sounded like. I tell you what we wanted, to, what I wanted us to sound like, was like a cross between no effects and blur. Okay, I think <laughs> so, you pretty much nailed that. Yeah. So like like beefy riffs with like sort of poppy, you know, poppy vocals. Yeah. Um, but we were in, you know, yeah, like you said, you know, we were influenced by so many different bands. That it kind of came out in our music, you know, the scar sort of element as well. Like, um, you know, we had a couple of tunes like that, um, and it did take, you know, it took us years to find our sound. And 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 towards the end of Symposium, we kind of did find our sound, and then we split up. Um, mm. But I guess we can talk about that a bit more like, like later on in the podcast. But you know, the thing about Symposium for me, right, is that it it happened at the right. Uh, time and age for us um, in the 90s you know and a, a lot of people that listened to our music and came to our shows they were basically the same age as us you know yep. like so you know when we played there was definitely like some sort of connection or kinship between us and the audience because the, in my eyes the audience were us except that we were kind of on stage um, and the, the thing I love about Symposium is that it was a pure thing you know, we were just five lads, didn't really have a game plan. Nothing was contrived. We didn't think about how we were perceived, how we should dress. We just, all we wanted to do was take our tunes on the road and have a bloody good time. And, you know, that's exactly what we've done. Um, so, yeah, you know, we just, that was it. It was as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. This, this is the part where I, I hold my hand up and say, I probably saw you guys 30 times or something <laughs> 30 <laughs> gotta no. be at least that's awesome <laughs> it was a uh, but but that kind Did of we, i would have got you in for free if you'd have collared me oh fuck's sake you said i've got you on the list <laughs> actually you know our list our guest lists back in the day were mental like we get 
<laughs> we'd be in like we just pull up somewhere and there's a bunch of kids be there be like he puts on the list be like yeah all right what what plus what plus plus 20 of our mates yeah right. Like, <laughs> yeah just, why not yeah like the, the london gigs be even worse to be like 100 people on the guest list like and it's funny now because we're doing this gig now and all my mates are ringing me up going ross keep putting in the list plus one two three whatever and i, I was like oh yeah 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 and like i basically promised about 100 people guest list and um and then, then we spoke to the promoter the other day and he was like, uh, I said, yeah, how much, how much have we got in guest this? He's like, two each. Not the whole venue. Things have changed now since the 90s, you know, like um, I, I, I guess uh, after COVID as well, you know, people, I guess these promoters want to make a bit of money, don't they? But Yeah, bless them. Um, let's move on to One Day at a Time then. Um, the Your debut mini album, October 1997. Um, mm. Tell us a bit about that kind of time. What was the what was the recording process mm. like? Yeah, like well, it's super exciting time, you know, because um, you know we'd never really been in a studio or, or or anything, so we knew absolutely nothing, you know, about how how to record an album or like we. I mean, in general, in symposium, we didn't know our ass from our elbows because we were so young, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> You know, we were just sort of just wading along, basically doing stuff. And uh, yeah, um, we got a manager uh, that lived next, he basically lived next door to Hagop, uh, unbelievably. And like, so we, we, you know, we'd spent the whole of 95 gigging constantly all around Camden, every venue. We sent demo tapes out to everyone and um, no one came back to us at all. Like we had no interest. Um, so we, we nearly gave up. Um, but then this guy um, that Hagop knew started managing us and he basically helped us get 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 record deal and, you know, get ultimately um, get into the studio, which was awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, we ended up recording one day at a time with um, Clive Langer and Alan Wynn Stanley. And um, there was basically one of our friends, um, this girl we knew, um, I gave her a demo tape of, of our stuff and she gave it to her dad and her dad managed Clive Langer and Alan. So that's kind of how that sort of happened really. And um, at the time we didn't really know what they'd actually done. Um, but okay. yeah, they kind of, they are the, well, I won't say they're the eighties. They, they define eighties, but I mean, they, they recorded stuff by madness the teardrop explodes. Dexy's Midnight Runners. Um, who else did they do? They might be giants. Love them. Morrissey. Wow. Um, who else? Like that? I think yeah, they recorded. I'm pretty sure they recorded. You know that cover version of like Dancing in the Streets with Mick Jagger and Bowie. Yes. I'm pretty sure you might have to Google it. They they actually recorded that as well. Wow. Um, but yeah. These are the dudes we were in with. <laughs> and at the time, we were just like, oh, it's just two old blokes. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, so we had no respect for them at all. Um, but obviously, we were very nice to them and got on. We, we all got on like a house on fire. And Clive liked to drink for sure. And so, well, so did we. So we bonded over alcohol, basically. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, it was pretty quick. You know, we just went in. We recorded in Westside Studios, which is now gone now, actually. That was on off Latimer Road. Um, so we recorded the majority of it in there with Clive and Alan. 
great memories from that. Like um, that 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 recording studio was um, it had a lot of people that used to come in and, in and out there, and we saw loads of famous people there. Um, and one funny story is uh, one day we were there and we just used to play pool all the time, like while someone was doing their part. And uh, yeah, we're playing pool, and then this really nice um, old bloke comes over. And he was American and he was like, oh, yeah, he's like, why do you pop, pop this ball here? And he was giving us little tips and all that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks, mate. You know, nice one. And uh, very nice bloke. And then, uh, then all these dudes come in with KFC and they're like, BB, your lunch is here. And uh, I was like, all right, we'll see you later, mate. And uh, I was like, who's that anyway? He was like, I don't know, some blues singer. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no and then uh, i went in and i was like who's bb clive he's like oh bb king's in today <laughs> and that uh, and at the time i, I didn't even know bb king was so I, I didn't know uh you know i, I, I was so young wow. um and it's only years later that i think to myself you you know you idiot that, that's bb <laughs> king and you you know I, I was just like a nice old bloke to me he's like a nice old man eating kfc um yes that was that's a funny story and uh, Amazing. You know, there's a couple of other funny things happened in that studio as well. But um, yeah, so we've done that. And then, and then we just, we, um, we, we said to the label, we basically wanted a trip abroad. So we said to the label, okay. oh yeah, like, uh, yeah, we're not really feeling it in West Side Studios. Like, can we just, is this like somewhere we can go abroad? Like, you know, and, <laughs> and so they sent us to Spain, uh, to some studio. I can't even remember where it was, but basically it's so funny because all of Joe's parts, the drummer in our band, Joe Birch, the drummer extraordinaire, amazing drummer, he, uh, he'd done all his parts. And, uh, and so all Joe done when we went to Spain was just drink, drink booze every day and get mashed <laughs> while everyone else was uh, recording their, their parts in the studio. And uh, I think he had a good time. I shared a room with him actually on that. And uh, yeah, it was messy. Um, but yeah. So, um, yeah, we did, uh, yeah, and that was it. And then we, we released, like, a couple of singles, like um, Drink the Sunshine was the first one we released in 96. Um, Farewell to Twilight, we released that one in at number 25. Um, and I remember we played on TFI Friday. That was horrifically kind of a scary moment, but was quite cool because I was able to skateboard from my house to the studio and uh, just rock up and be like, yeah, bang live tv here we go um, i remember i remember when you were on tfi because i was i don't know sitting with my sister or whatever and i was like look this is that band that i go and see all the time and she's like yeah, yeah whatever okay <laughs> like, yeah. like they're on tv <laughs> yeah we couldn't believe it really it was quite nerve-wracking actually um but good fun and then um fairweather friend was after that that was like winning at number 25 so we've done the top of the pops thing um okay. and that was that was awesome like that was properly good um like the crowd that was there we basically got in like quite a few of our mates into the uh, audience so um yeah that we just had everybody was sort of jumping around and i managed to we played totally live and uh you Did know you? i managed to stage dive everyone was on the at the end everyone got on the stage and all that and uh I was like, yeah, this is good. Uh, 
that was amazing for me because I was like, look, mum, <laughs> I'm doing I've all right now. I'm, I'm on top <laughs> of the pops, mum. Yeah, but that's it, isn't it? It's like people don't, I think that if you didn't live through the 90s, you don't know what a big deal that was. Like there was no, like the whole, I, I feel like the whole country watched Top of the Pops. Yeah, I, I love Top of the Pops. So even right. like the, even like the pop bands on it, I just like watching it every week. Always, you know, yeah. didn't matter who was on it. Well, this is it because it was like the only until some of the Saturday morning. Yeah, Jules Holland, Top of the Pops. That yeah. was it, right? Until and then it's a little bit of Saturday morning TV. But if you didn't have like Sky, which I certainly didn't growing up, there's no, there was no MTV. There's no music TV. This is how you saw music, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was there was programs like The Word. That, right. um, that I, I, I used to watch that you used to get a lot of live music on that and, and we just missed out on that I always wanted to get on the word because you know like yeah. they had all well, you know who used to book the bands on the word was um, Joe Wiley oh really she, she uh. got Nirvana, Nirvana like, I rate Joe Wiley you know I used to listen to like the, you know her and Stephen Matt's radio show yeah. BBC Six um, but yeah she used to get all the bands on the word and then there was a guy she worked with called Chris Cowie, I think, or Chris something. And he was the guy who got us, and he used to put bands on the word, but then he started working with Top of the Pops and he goes on Top of the Pops. So I think they employed him to get all, you know, give Top of the Pops a bit of a kick up the arse, you know, <laughs> get live, live bands on there, mash it up. Um, um, but yeah, there, there were other programs on too, like late night programs like um, The Beat with Gary Crowley. Did you ever see that? Oh God. Gary Crowley? Gary Crowley's Demo Clash. So I sound just like <laughs> no. an old. I sound like an old man. No memory, but I'm into it. Yeah, mate. It's Have a look cool. at that on um, YouTube. Gary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the beat, the beat. That was quite a good program. Like they had like live, live, live bands on there, stuff like that. Yeah, man. But yeah. So, um, yeah. So, um, so that was uh, that, mate. Yeah. If if we were to play a song from One Day at a Time, do you have a favourite from that EP? You know, I love every track on that album. Like that, I mean, to be honest, we it, it, it was meant to be an album, but the record label were like, oh, look, we just got to put something out. Can we just put this eight, eight track sort of mini album out? And um, that defined the summer for, uh, for us. And I think for maybe some other people, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah. to it. it was like a really nice poppy summary kind of album that and every song on it, is a banger as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I mean, we can go with One Day at a Time anyway. Just play that. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this is One Day at a Time by Symposium. So, am I right in thinking after this period, you then started touring further afield with some fairly serious bands? Your support list, I remember this, we interviewed Will, is pretty intimidating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like we, yeah, it went mental basically after that. Like once <laughs> that, once that, actually, even before that, it was mental because, like, even before we'd even um, recorded, you know, that album, mm-hmm. we, um, we, 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 we'd already played Wembley Arena. Really? Wow! But headline. It was the uh, yeah. It was in the foyer of women. <laughs> no, the foyer. 
Yeah, we played that. But it, no, um, we um, we played with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We supported them. Right. And that was mental, right? So I'll tell you a little story about this, right? So it was about like, um, it, it was about two weeks before the actual gig, right? Okay. We, 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 done it, we played at the, at the Dublin Castle and uh, there was a promoter there called John Curd who ran a company called Straight Promotions and he was there and he saw the show and he was like, look, look he's quite, quite a sort of um, intimidating character actually, but he was a top bloke. And he's like, look, look guys, you're, like, you're really good. Uh, I want to be your promoter. And uh, I tell you what, two weeks time, you can uh, start off by supporting the Chili Peppers. How's that? <laughs> and um, and I was like, sorry. I was like, sorry, sorry, mate. Come again. And he was like, yeah, yeah. He goes, I've done them for years, uh, Ross. Uh, you know, you'd you be great as a, a sort of like opening act. And I, I, I thought to myself, either this bloke's mental and he's lying, he's, he's just lying. Or he's just made the largest beer promise of his life. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I was, a, I'm a massive Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, and you know, right. when when that album Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out, it was getting quantum plays on a daily yeah. basis by me. I wore that tape out, and yeah. um, obviously, Anthony Kiedis as a frontman was pretty inspirational to me. Um, and you know, the thing I liked about that album was the variety as well, the variety of styles on the record. Right. You know, and I think that is something that, you know, um, probably influenced Symposium. It's like, uh, there's that kind of, you know, not every song is the sort of same, but when you listen to it, you know it's a Red Hot Chili Peppers record, you know, right. uh, you, you just know it's them. But um, yeah, and obviously John Frusciante, you know, he's just an amazing player. He's all over that record. And yeah. I, I, I liked all of their previous albums too you know like the, the uplift on mofo party plan that's some good tracks on there yeah did you ever um, hear that that was yeah for sure yeah i was a huge fan yeah freaky styley yeah yeah freaky styley like yeah yeah mother's milk of obs mother's which milk, is a bit man. more sort of aggressive i think looking yes. back on it yeah great yeah. great 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 stuff man and and and, and also hillel slovak was a good guitar player obviously yeah very sad he passed away at such a young age. But anyway, the um, the actual day then that this gig rolled around, it was um, very surreal, you know, because we, we used to play to no one in the Dublin <laughs> Castle, basically. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're on playing on, you know, what, I mean, a state, it felt like a fucking football pitch. You know what I mean? Right. It's like massive. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, and I remember like the, the actual day we were there, I didn't see Anthony Kiedis or Chad Smith backstage, okay. but I did see, um, what's his name? Dave Navarro and Flea. Right. And I had a conversation with Flea and uh, yeah, he just, he just sort of appeared from out of nowhere, like a fucking genie or something. He was just like, he was just there in my face. And uh, yeah, he was like, hey, he's like, yeah, how you doing? He said, you're, you're in the support. I can't do his accent. But he was like, he's like, you're in the support band, right? Like, John, John told me you were good. And I was like, huh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> like, I just sort of like, he was wearing tights. He had no Of course he on. was. Of course. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, amazing. Typical. He was just standing there, loving it, loving life. He was holding his four-month-year-old baby in his arms, and he was eating baby rusks. Wow. And uh, 
he did offer me one, but I declined. Um, <laughs> and you know, I was, as an emo dad now, yeah, I was impressed with his multitasking there. Yeah, yeah, nailed it, right? Mm. Yeah, I always think. And, and then, yeah, sorry, go on. No, you know, difficult to go on tour with babies and stuff and all the right? rest of it, right? Yeah, Maybe a bit I've... easier for them. I bet they probably had nannies and things. Yeah, certainly at that period. Yeah, I bet they had literally anything they wanted, but still must have been quite... Well, I don't, when they're that little, it's probably quite fairly easy because you just sort of stick them somewhere small. But I imagine... Um, going anywhere with slightly larger children must have, must not be a thing. Maybe it is. No. I don't know. Maybe bad. There is a. I think there is a video about that. There is some. There is. I've seen. There is a film about about it. It's got loads of hardcore bands in it, and they're all dads. You might. Yeah, there is one. It's that. It's that the um with the lead singer of Pennywise. His video. Yeah, about or melancholy. Is it melancholic or Pennywise yeah. or melan? Is it melancholy? Melancholic? Oh, I can't remember the name now. Lagwagon, I think, are on it, or like all those yeah. sort of things. Yeah, yeah, it's good that we keep Check meaning to. Yeah. yeah, we keep meaning seen to. It. Um, oh, it's really good. I've seen it. It's really yeah. good. He's got a book too, which I haven't bothered to read, but I would like to. But we keep meaning to um, watch it and review it on the podcast, which we might well do one day once we get to all the other millions of things we wanted to do. Um, but I, I'm, anyway, I, I, when I, I, I get back to this, yeah. yeah, get back to the story. So, like, yeah, so there was there. And um, yeah, we chatted, me and Fleet chatted for, for, for about 20 minutes, basically, wow. about um, Chet Baker and right. Fugazi, right? Because Flea's a bit of a jazz head, like, because sure. he, he plays trumpet. Um, and I, 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 I like, I, I mean, I don't want to talk about jazz on an emo podcast, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I was really interested in asking Flea about this film he was in um, called Let's Get Lost which is a documentary about a jazz trumpeter and singer called Chet Baker, right? And um, okay. for anyone who doesn't know who Chet Baker is, he was basically the James Dean of jazz. So he's super cool, played with all the greats like Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Jerry Mulligan, who loves Art Pepper, like the list goes on, like he's a West Coast legend. And he had a beautiful voice, um, but he was heavily addicted to heroin. Yeah. Um, right. So like, I mean, even if you're not into jazz, um, it's worth watching this film just for the opening scenes. Um, because if you're a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, there's some great stuff in there. It's like, it's all um, filmed, it's like black and white footage. And it's just Flea and Chet Baker bumming around LA on a beach having drinks. And it's really interesting insight sort of into their relationship. And it's just really good, um, you know, and sadly, Chet Baker died shortly after, you know, making this um, film. Um, so that was a bit of a moment there, you know, talking to Flea and sort of, um, you know, chatting to him and all that. And then we talk about Fugazi for a bit. And then that night, um, he, um, they covered Waiting Room that night. And oh, that, was, really? um, that was super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. remember the date of the gig. Oh, I do actually. Wait, hold on. It was July... 1996 i don't know the actual date but it was in 96 so um yeah so then um that all kind of yeah that was just one of those moments where it's just i, I just couldn't handle it really it's just mental it's like so and it, after chatting to him i went backstage then to the dressing room and we had to share with another band mm -hmm. who turned out to be no doubt so we were in this dressing room ah. with no doubt um <laughs> but it, it, it's before they went global right it's before they were famous really Right. So they were just like another 
you know, they were just a, a sort of um, another band, really. Um, and they were all really nice. Um, you know, we just sort of shared the rider and stuff like that. And uh, Gwen was really nice. And um, yeah, it was just like, it was just, it was pretty cool. So um, like, I remember when we had to go on stage, um, we had like, uh, all, all the lights just sort of like went down mm-hmm. and the whole of Wembley Arena erupted. Like, <laughs> and uh, I think the audience got a bit confused. I think they thought we were like red hot chili peppers, um, right. you know, cause they all just go mental. We were all shitting ourselves. And um, we basically had a bit of a spinal tap moment because um, this dude was like, go on, go on, it's time to go on. <laughs> and then we were just walking down all these corridors, like getting lost and like until oh, some, bloke, some bloke just sort of with a torchlight went there, go up there. And then like, we just went onto the stage and that was that. And like the whole gig went pretty well. It, you know, it was, it, was all, it was all pretty good. And then after the show, like no doubt, we're like oh, it's really good, and we're like, oh, is that the next time you're in town, you know, let's uh, let's play together and stuff like that. And uh, so we swapped numbers, and then the, the next time they came to town, we did play together um, at Brixton Academy. But that's another story in itself as well. Well, is this the story that I've got written in my Matt has written in the notes? Was it playing with no doubt that you dislocated your leg? Yeah, I'm cursed, right? So like Brixton <laughs> for me is a bit of a cursed venue, if I'm honest, man. Okay, like. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I say a cursed venue. I mean, it's an awesome venue, and I've seen so many good bands there over the right. years. And um, I remember um, when we played, I'm trying to find the date. Hang on. It was, yeah, that was it, right. So where do I start with this story? <laughs> it's, a, it's a nuts story. Like, I don't know how to start with this. Let me just figure it out about the curse of Brixton. <laughs> Let's just start, right, with this story. We're not going to start with a okay. gig. We're going to okay. start with, with, with a party that happened there. Okay. I've never told my mum this story, so let's just hope she don't listen to this yeah. podcast. Okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> as a 44-year-old man. <laughs> but, uh, right. So we signed to Infectious Records, right? Yeah. Um, and on Infectious Records, they had Ash, bad news, bad garbage, um, who else, Peter Andre, and uh, a whole load of other guys. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so it was kind of before we'd done anything, really. Um, and uh, we'd done, we were recording some B-sides, I think, in this studio in Shepherd, in, not Shepherd, which foot in Fulham, okay. um, right by Fulham Broadway Station, and it's, it's gone now, but there was a studio there. And um, uh, we were in there, and then there's this bloke there and he goes, uh, yeah, right, mate. And then like, we just start chatting, playing pool, like having a little chitty chat. And then after a while, he just started dropping these things and going, yeah, yeah, because, you know, the last band I was in, it was just crazy, you know, it was just too much for me. I couldn't be bothered with it, you know, this and that. And I was like, all right, look, all right. I didn't really make much of it. And then he just started, then he started dropping in things like when we played Wembley, you know, this and that and blah, blah. <laughs> and I was like, hold on, what, you played Wembley? He's like, yeah, yeah. I said, what, what's the name of your band? He's like, take that. I was like, oh, all right. Uh, and then, it, well, it turned out to be Robbie Williams. Oh. Robbie, Robbie, Robbie was in there um, <laughs> recording, what was that song? It was like an Oasis type song. It was like one of his first singles, like a, 
You know that I hope I'm old before I die. You know, remember that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope um, I'm old before I die. Yeah. Um, yeah, when he was a bit of a yeah. Gallagher thing, and um, uh, <laughs> and I mean because I mean obviously I knew about Take That and I knew, you know, I knew their songs, but right. you know, you never really paid attention to who was in the no. band or anything. So I didn't really recognise him really. Um, and then I kind of sort of ish kind of recognised him. I was like, oh, I think I recognise him. Yeah, um, but he was quite nice. You know, he was a really nice guy, and um, we. So he was in there and he had some food nutritionist person with him who was sort of trying to make him eat health food. Okay. And I said to him, mate, why don't we just go get Chinese? So we went across the road, <laughs> got a Chinese. And I remember when we went into the Chinese, like the girl who worked there went mental, like when he walked in, she's like, oh, okay. And I was like, oh, you know, this is quite funny. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we've done that. I had quite a nice time. We had, we had a bit of a laugh, this and that. We'll call this session done, end of, right? Then a couple of weeks later, Garbage played at, um, at Brixton. Okay. And uh, so and we all got guest list because they were on the same label and all that. And we went to the after show and I'm coming up the stairs to the after show and uh, everyone's there. Like anyone who's anyone is there, right? Kate Moss is there. Kylie Minogue is there. Wow. Um, like members of Weezer were there because the rentals played. Um, and, and then I come upstairs, open the door, and Robbie Williams is standing there with this, like, all these people around him there. And he goes, all right, Ross. <laughs> and uh, and I, I was like, hey, all right, Robbie, how you doing, mate? You all right? And then all of a sudden, all these people just sort of look at me like, who's this chump? You know, who's this bloke? <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, uh, then Will comes over to me, goes, Ross, it's a free bar, mate. And I'm like, no way. He's like, yeah, let's get stuck in. So all night I was just offering beers to anyone. I was like, Kylie, do you want a beer? She's like, no, Robbie, you want a beer? Like anyone, you want a beer? Yeah, come on, let's do it. And like, I think Oasis were there as well. And we basically <laughs> went absolutely mental. It's like the first time I've ever experienced a free bar. And right. uh, we just went nuts. Like there was just people giving out shorts, like just boozing all like in this bar. Just, we just basically went a bit overboard. And the last thing I remember was walking downstairs and um, this took me sort of a long time to, to remember what actually happened. But I, I, I thought to myself, I'd love to play here, you know. And I went onto the stage and basically passed out on the stage. <laughs> I, woke, I, I woke up and this took me years to remember what happened. And I woke up in hospital no. and um, they, were, they were hitting me and they said, what have you taken? And I just went tequila, tequila, <laughs> <laughs> and then just turned over and like I can't really remember what happened. But I woke up the next day really embarrassed and ashamed of myself. Yeah, because right. I disrespected the free bar beyond belief. And um, <laughs> then I got up. I said sorry. I said thanks for looking after me and really so sorry. Very embarrassing. But then I had to go back to school. I had to go to college. So I went into college was telling everyone about this mental night I had got called to the headmaster who said Ross I think it's best you you pursue your career in in your band really because you're you're a fuck up so basically got nicely got asked to leave college wow um and then from that day that was it I was like it's plan a symposium all the way so that was it so then um yeah so that happened and that taught me a lesson as well you know early on to not 
to just have boundaries and not not just don't get it, it scared me actually right um so uh yeah um so i did that never happened again luckily but um yeah i mean we played at brixton obviously then with no doubt <laughs> and um I'm going to zoom back as well, because this is fucking weird, right? And to mm -hmm. this day, you can ask Will as well about this, right? We saw the Smashing Pumpkins at Brixton in, in, on the 25th of September. I looked this up. 25th of September, 1993. We went there. We saw that show. It was amazing. Liz Fair supported. Um, Exile to Dival, really good album. And if anyone hasn't heard it, I love her. Very good um, musician. Um, and The Verve as well. They supported Smashing Pumpkins. Right, wow. that was on September the 25th, 1997. When we, um, not, uh, it, when we came out, not 1997, 1993, 25th of September, 1993, Brixton Academy. We came out of the gig, me and Will, going, oh, that was amazing. Gonna have to bloody play it. We'll play it one day. Play. Then this bloke jumps up from behind us and goes, you will play it. You will play it, lads, in a few years. And I was pissed. <laughs> And we were like, uh, we were just sort of like, uh, uh, yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, then shoot forward to 97. Will says to me, you know what fucking day this is, don't you? And I was like, no. It's like, it's the same date that we saw the Smashing Pumpkins. And it's the same date that bloke said to us we'd play it. So it was Brixton Academy, 25th September, 97. Wow. So, so that freaked me out. Basically, that whole day was a bit like, oh, this is a bit weird. And I, I passed out on this stage and I was yeah. just like, it's all a bit, I, I felt nervous. Anyway, so we'd done the gig. Yeah. And like, it was just like the first tune, just banned into like Drink the Sunshine. It was all going pretty well. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then I, the floor was quite slippy and, and I just slipped over and um, then I popped my knee out, basically. Oh. Um, but it, we were near to the end of the song and I, I just thought, oh, I'll keep singing um, because we're nearly at the end. And I think my adrenaline was going, so I didn't really feel any pain, but I knew something wasn't right. Um, and, you know, this sort of thing used to happen all the time. It wasn't out of the ordinary, you know, like, <laughs> we, 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 like Will knocked himself out a few weeks earlier at like a gig we'd done in Nottingham Rock City. Um, like the, the ceiling was quite low and he jumped up, whacked his head on the ceiling and just passed out on the floor. Um, wow. So this sort of thing happened all the time. Like Wojtek got his tooth chipped from someone kicking a mic stand and I had all manner of injuries as well. But so this sort of thing just used to happen. And so we finished the tune. Um, and then Will was like, yeah, get up, Ross. It's the next song now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and then he I looked at him and he looked at me and then he looked at my knee and he turned a weird colour and I must have been a weird colour and then uh yeah oh, no. I was like dude I think I've put my knee mate and uh I had to put on a really brave face and get carted off the stage and uh yeah and that was it and then they popped it back in um and then the next and then it was like oh no you know we've got this tour with no doubt we're about to release one day at a time and um yeah, we sort of put a bit of a spanner in the works, really, because we couldn't promote the album or anything. But um, yeah, the next night I came back with a motorized scooter and we'd done a full nice. set on the stage. I nearly fell off the stage, nearly went, went off the stage on the scooter, but you know, <laughs> but that it was all right, you know. Um, and then at the end of the gig, we sung Oi to the World with the Vandals and No Doubt. So that was a nice memory. Nice. Amazing. Well, it was, I mean, it was a, 
I guess it was a nice memory. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, I mean, I had a broken knee, but yeah, dislocated. Yeah. Amazing. What yeah. um, such an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that with us. But, <laughs> there's just so many nuts things happened in our band. Like being in, in symposium, it was like being on a stag do for like fucking six years. It, it was just, <laughs> it was, it was, it was brutal. It was relentless, but it was good. It was good fun. And, and like we, there was a lot, we'd done, there was a lot of things that happened that were just, you know, I'd never dream of behaving like how I did when I was 18 or 19, you know, like uh, as a man, you know, as I am now, obviously, like the things we used to do, like smashing up our gear and just being just crazy. Like we were just out of control, man. We really were like, it, like the, the funny thing is as well, is like people actually, took us seriously like that we, we couldn't get over it you know like these four dickheads from west london would right. get in like people from america proper head you know people like seymour stein who he was like head of electro records he'd signed everyone you know like madonna and bloody talking heads people like that wow. were saying oh yeah we'll we'll fly you out to la and uh, um you know we'll, we'll have a chat about getting a you know sorting out a record deal with you guys and we were like, all right then, uh, cool. <laughs> so we, we got flown out to LA. They put us up in like the best hotels. And I remember we were over there for like a week, um, seeing all these different record company executives. And we, we were just getting battered basically for the whole week. It was just like a full on just party. Nice. Um, and just talking to all these, we went to all these, you know, Viper Room and the Whiskey Go-Go and the Troubadour. Saw Lemmy like at the, playing um used to play all the uh, gaming machines in there and stuff and uh yeah so it's just a, week, a whole week of doing that we couldn't believe our luck and like they took they, they, one of them one of them, actually the people who we signed to was red ant records mm-hmm. and they took us to um they took us to disney i hadn't been on a plane before right i'd right. never been out of the country I'd, I'd never even had a curry before or done anything like we were experiencing all these things that were new to us we were just like five champs from west london you know we didn't we didn't keep saying you know we didn't really know yeah at that age you don't you don't have any life experience do you sure and and this was just just insane and so so anyway yeah we started and they took us to um they took us to disneyland and uh (laughs) they they were actually by this point quite concerned for us because we 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 just hadn't slept and we just were just on one and they, uh, they asked me, they said, uh, Ross, are you on acid? And I, I, I said, no, I'm, I'm just British. Because um, <laughs> I, 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 we, we were at Disney. Like, I couldn't believe I was at Disney. I was like, oh, look, there's Mickey. Yeah. And there's the, uh, the fucking Indiana Jones ride. And oh, God, it's so good. It's lovely and warm here, isn't it? And, oh, and uh, they thought we were in fucking nuts. And then that whole week we were there culminated in as... Um, I mean, I don't know if I should tell this story really because it, yeah. I mean, it's a bit embarrassing. I, I'm going to tell it because it is, it's worth telling, right? Because okay. it's quite funny. But um, yeah, it the whole week culminated in I was going to see this bloke called Tom Zutak, who was, okay. um, he'd signed Guns N' Roses and he ran this um, label called The Enclave. Okay. And they were like, guys, we're going to put you up in uh, the Beverly Hills Hotel. And yes, yeah, like with the Eagles, you know, the front cover of the Eagles album. Yeah, yeah. And this was on the last, more or less the last sort of day we were there. 
So we stayed there the night, just up all night. I didn't get any sleep. Um, and then I, I think I maybe had like an hour sleep. And we were meant to meet him in the morning for a breakfast meeting at the pool. And uh, I just woke up. Some, you know, some said, Ross, they're all downstairs, mate. The whole company was there. It was like about 20 people there. And this geezer, Tom Zuta. And uh, I just got up. I had my short, my swimming shorts on anyway. And uh, put on my robe, picked up a bottle of champagne that was half drunk. <laughs> I just walked through the lobby of, of this hotel, which is people staring at me. And I was walked out. I remember walking out into the bit where the swimming pool was. There was like 20 people there in suits and sort of like record company people. And uh, it was such a lovely day and so sunny. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to jump in that fucking pool. And I just ran in, <laughs> jumped in the pool with my robe on and uh, this bottle. And then uh, I just remember this strange sort of silence came over the, the, the place. And they were all just looking at me. And then... Yeah, and then I got out of the pool, I went, good morning, sat down, <laughs> ordered the biggest fucking breakfast I could, and then just had him in my ear talking about how he signed Guns N' Roses and all that, and I was like, yeah, whatever. And then, uh, <laughs> and then we, didn't even si- we, did- we didn't even sign to them. We didn't even sign to them, and they were offering us loads of money. And uh, we ended up going with this sort of indie label that was offering us hardly nothing <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why we made some strange decisions because we were like, oh no, we're, we're, we're a credible indie band. Um, but yeah, and it's things like that, you know, that I look back on now and I think, did that, that actually happen? You know, and it did. And uh, it's just insane, you know? And like I say, I wouldn't behave like that now, but as a young man, 18 year old, you know, I suppose you can get away with acting like a bit of a knob um, and, and just sort of, uh, you know, you, you can you can sort of still function, can't you, on no sleep? Yeah. I don't know about now though. But if I was to do <laughs> so at symposium now, take two, we're all in the, the, the we're like the wrong side of forty now, aren't we? But sure. I tell you what, I, I've got something. I've got a potion. Okay. Have you heard of this? The LG potion. No. Mate, Liam Gallagher potion. <laughs> Cider. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'll let you into this secret. <laughs> Cider vinegar, turmeric, cayenne pepper, cayenne pepper, a bit of, um, you need a bit of pepper in there to okay. absorb the, the turmeric. Honey, although I don't have honey, I have, I have caramac or something like that. Is it caramac? Um, and hot water. You drink that half an hour before you go and it's good for your throat and then bang, just fucking smash it. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. Is that the plan? I've been drinking it every day since I heard that we were going to do, be doing these gigs. I feel fucking great. Amazing. Well, that's a top quality tip for all of us there. I'm definitely going to try that. Um, Cider vinegar. It's good for anyone, really. Keep you young. Man. Yeah. Cider vinegar, turmeric, cane pepper, honey, or if you're vegan, some, some substitute and hot water. Amazing. Bang. But, I, 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 like, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to rock. I, I, for sure, I can, man. Yeah, I can hear it in your voice, and I'm super excited. I'm super excited to see it. And um, let's play. Let's play. Talking a song. Too, I can tell I'm talking too much. Is it? I'm talking too much. No, no it's just absolute. No, it's absolute. You can gold. edit it all. Absolute gold. We're the time of our lives. Um, what we should play a song. 
What was your like favorite song to play live or go completely off the wall to? Oh yeah, good question. I mean, I always like puddles. Okay. Because like that song, I was just really easy to sing, and it had Voitech singing on a bit of that as well. So I always got a bit of a rest. Um, <laughs> but that was like that was a good song because it had little bits in it where I could do things. Like so I could sing a bit. Boyette would sing, have a rest. Then there's like a middle bit to it, so that gave me time to, to you know, stage dive and all that. <laughs> all right, amazing. All right, well let's uh, let's all imagine Ross stage diving like the good old days and listen to Puddles by Symposium. So let's talk about on the outside. So you you've you've seen all these big dog. Um, label execs and you've decided to go with um, your, your little indie label after you've you know drunk all their champagne and whatever um, what was the what was the vibe like in the band going into the studio for on the outside mm. yeah well we felt a little bit more confident I think because yeah. we'd, we'd, we'd um, done a lot of um, gigging and like we kind of got used to being in the studio and we had a good working relationship with Clive and Alan so um, yeah, like half of the songs on on the outside were recorded by them anyway, um, and then there was a few tracks on there that were recorded by Martin Glover. And Martin, um, he well, his name is Youth. He's called Youth. That's what everyone calls him. But he was in the Killing Joke. He played bass in them, okay. and he's also in um, a band. I uh, didn't know this at the time with uh, Paul McCartney, actually. Um, is it the Firemen or something they're called? Or mm. something like that, the Firemen. But I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know the fucking Killing Joke word, to be honest, when we recorded with him. But since then, um, I actually think they're a fantastic band. Have you ever listened to them? No, I know of no. them, but I've not really um, gone and listened to them. Is it worth a you know, spin? Oh, defo. Just get, like, the best of a listener. Really, really good, like, 80s band. And you know who... Who was influenced by them? Like when you hear it, Faith No More. Ah. So when you hear when you hear Kill, the Killing Joke, have a listen to a few of their songs, and um, you can see like how Faith No More are influenced by them for sure. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. On the outside was like it was kind of we'd kind of we'd done a lot of the recording um, ahead of time on um, on the outside, and I'm not on the outside, or one day at a time or whatever. So half of it was kind of already done. And then the other half, we've done two songs with you. Um, so, yeah. Night, night, darling. Good night. <laughs> yeah, that's my little, uh, my little rocker there. Night, night, night. She's going to be a rock star. I've got three kids and they're um, like, Isla's the youngest. And um, she, I can tell she's like, she's got the DNA. She's got the rock and roll DNA. Yeah. Does she go go yeah. around like dislocating her knee and stuff? Or? Not yet. Yeah, she's, she's very impulsive. She just she likes music as well, which is is good. So um, I think out of all my kids, I think she's going to be the one that I can invest like time invest in. your time in. <laughs> I mean, that sounds really awful thing to say, doesn't it? But obviously, I invest time in all all of my children equally. But as far as rock and roll is concerned, I think she she'll be the one. But um, yeah. What, what are we what talking about again? I think, I think that's the uh, that is a classic emo. I don't think we've ever had a guest say good night to his kids on the podcast. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was I really normally sweet. put them to bed now. I normally because like half seven's like bedtime for her, and then the others go to bed a bit later. 
right? Because my others are a bit older. Mm. Uh, my, my daughter's 12 and my son's 10. She's she's taken advantage and got another hour out of um, staying up tonight. Yeah. yeah. It's the weekend, it's fine. It's Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> um, so, yeah, on the outside, you're, you're in the studio. Yeah, so like half of it was done there, like at the the studio, you know, Westside Studios and um, in Spain. And then um, we've done some tracks with Youth. He'd done, um, what tracks did he do? He'd done Bury You and Paint mm-hmm. Stars. He only done two because he cost an absolute fortune. Um, because <laughs> at that time, he, he, he'd done um, The Verve, like uh, Bittersweet Symphony. Okay. So he was just... I think he was just really expensive. I don't even know how much he cost, to be honest, but I know he was expensive. And we recorded that in a studio in Barnes. Um, I think it's Barnes Studio, I think it's called. But And it's funny because, um, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, I was talking about, you know, that youth centre I used to go to. And we actually went on a trip there in the 80s. Well, not the 80s or, yeah, it must have been the 80s, actually. It was like 89 or something. We went on a trip to Barnes Studios to look at the studio. And... Um, Queen were in there at the time, what? and uh, I remember, yeah. And but I, I, they weren't actually they were in there, but they weren't there. Um, but all their gear was in there, and we saw like this big. Um, they had a big Scalectrix, I remember in there, um, that they let us play with. Um, so yeah, that was quite a nice recording there because I was like, yeah, wicked, you know, in a proper. I mean, that studio that Queen recorded in, and Jimi Hendrix and all sorts of people recording in. It's still there now, I think. Might be a cinema now, I think. But um, yeah, so that was just very straightforward, really. Just went in some of the tracks. There was a guy called Hugo Nicholson as well that um, recorded some tracks with us. And he, I think he was on a come down from working with Primal Scream because uh, he, he'd been with them previously and just got mashed probably working with them. I mean, I'm just saying that in general. I, I don't know if he did, but. Don't know. Yeah. Lightly. <laughs> and I mean primal scream, you know. Come on. What um what do you think about the album 22 to what is it, 24 mm. years later now? How how do you feel about it? It's all over the place. Okay. <laughs> That's all those yeah. different producers you had. <laughs> yeah, it's um I mean, when I listen to it, you know, every song on there I like and I am proud of. Uh, and um but it it, it is um it, it, it it's kind of it, we we were still trying to find ourselves and our sound so you know a lot of the songs on there are pretty, it's pretty schizophrenic album really i think but when you listen to the songs you know each of them songs are great and will started to write more riffs as well at this point so the end um was a song that he um sort of uh, wrote you know like a lot of the riffs in that and stuff and um we were just starting to spread our wings a little bit or we we're all starting to you know contribute a bit more i think um but the end was a, a really good song song you know i love that song yeah good it's one of my favorites one of my favorites it's a banger, for sure. it's a banger, it's a banger. it was like Absolutely. that was will's beginning basically where he was he, he we, we'd been on tour like um uh doing the warp tour and yep. um all the bands on that were super kind of like i mean deftones were on that whole tour so watching them was quite influential actually because all their songs were like down tune to is it d or whatever 
and it's like, -na 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 -na. <laughs> we were like, we were like, yeah, this is a bit like death tones, <laughs> a little bit, maybe. -ish. And um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play a song from that in a moment, but like beyond that album, so uh, like the Killing Position um, single and some of the, the songs that didn't get released that you guys played at mm. Red Inn Festival, um, they seem to be going in a more aggressive direction. Would that be yeah. fair to say? And was that yeah. kind of where you saw the, the future of the band at that, at that moment? Yeah, I mean, we were we were always flitting between like, are we a punk pop band? Are we an indie band? Are we a blazing sort of a blazing rock band, like proper riffs, Syntalica type thing? <laughs> um, and uh, what basically by the time we found our sound, we split up. So Will started writing some amazing riffs. Um, and we started to, we started to figure out where kind of what we were about. Um, and I think if, if we'd have continued, um, we, it would have morphed into a sort of like more sort of poppier version of Hell is for Heroes, I would mm. say. That's just my own personal opinion. Um, sort of slash Foo Fighters type thing. There's a song we recorded called, um, Bleach in your motherfucking eye um <laughs> nice. which is on it's on youtube actually and that's probably the best kind of uh example of what we would have sounded like there was um is it peshwari nan as well was that... <laughs> yeah yeah, With, yeah um... so that that, that was famous like we were riff. curry and we were like oh what, what should we what should we call it it's like peshwari nan isn't it I was having a nan, and we were like, let's just call it that for now. We'll change the name. We'll change the name later on. Yeah, we had that, and to the lighthouse, and um, yeah, I mean, we, we still hadn't really um, figured out what we were going to do with that song, and we played it once live. I think we played it, maybe played it a few times live, but the Reading Festival, we played it in 99, and um, I remember saying at the beginning of the song, you know, like, this is the biggest riff you, you, you're ever going to hear. And, uh, and it was a big riff. Um, and obviously, you know, we, we, we split up pretty soon after that. And, uh, you know, Will formed the excellent Palace for Heroes, him and Joby, um, you know, and he, he'd done justice with those, those riffs. You know, they were Will's riffs and they deserved to be heard by somebody. And, you know, the Hell is for Heroes um, version <laughs> of Prashwari Nan is superior, obviously. It's very good, you know, like it. And the song wasn't formed. It weren't formed properly. It was just an idea. Um, it was loosely formed. So, um, yeah. How, how did you feel about them kind of taking those songs and moulding them mm. into their band? How, yeah. how did you feel kind of... As a, as the I don't know ex singer whatever you wanted you know your position at that yeah. time. Well, do you want me to or... talk about the break the breakup of the band? Well, yeah. Well, do you well, want me to give you the story? Yeah, I'll, go I'll on. Give you the story do it. Because you might as, might as well probably get time Just do it. Isn't it? So um, yeah, like so towards the end of Symposium, I mean, we've been living and breathing this band, you know, for six years basically, constant touring 
constant mayhem, a lot of pressure on us to deliver this album as well. You know, people say, oh, you, you spend your first album, the first album you do is really easy because you spent years writing those songs. The second album, or for, sometimes the third album even, is, is always quite hard to do because you've got like a limited amount of time. You've got the record company saying, yeah, we need this, we need tunes, mm. uh, or, you know, we need this stuff out by next year or whatever. So there's a lot of pressure on everybody, I think, to deliver, and especially Wojtek, um, because he was one of the main songwriters in the band. Um, and yeah, we were a little bit burnt out, I would say, by this point. We were fucking exhausted, man. I was exhausted. I was just, my voice was a bit knackered. And um, yeah, just, just we're all burnt out. We need, what we should have done was just say, let's just take a break, step back, have a break for a year or six months. It doesn't matter, you know? But we didn't do that because we were young and we just didn't know how to handle pressure, I suppose, and communicate properly with each other. Um, so, yeah, um, it kind of got to the stage where, like, Will had written all these riffs. And they were bloody amazing. And I was like, this is the biz, mate. This is where we're going. Love it. But the kind of there was kind of like a bit of a divide in the band where it's like, um, you know, half of us wanted to just carry on doing, you know, like punk pop tunes, but Will wanted to go uh, down the sort of post-hardcore kind of route. And that's kind of where I wanted to go as well, really. But I think we could have made an, a middle ground. There could have been some middle ground there where it would have worked for sure. Um, but yeah, I think then what happened, and this was the kind of, this is the what broke us, was um, our label at Infectious, the guy there called a Marshall, who was a wonderful man, very nice. Um, I mean, one of the things about Infectious was that they, they were too lenient on us. Like they just said, oh, you just do what you want, guys, it's fine. We had no A&R direction, nobody guiding us or telling us kind of what to do. They just left it to us, um, so, which is good in one way because we had total artistic freedom to do what we wanted. But in another way, I think we probably could have done with a bit of guidance, being so young and all that. We didn't have any help at all, just left to it, which is fine, I suppose, just the way it was. Um, but yeah, so Cord is like, yeah, we're Infectious is going to go down the pan. Um, so we're selling it to um, us merging with, I think it was, I, I can't even remember the label. Was that East West Records or something like that? And there was something in our contract that said, you can either go now and get another deal or you can come with us. And um, for some really insane reason, um, our manager was like, right, lads, what are you going to do? You're going <laughs> to go with uh, Corda or you're going to leave? And we'll just get our own deal. We'll even set up our own label. <laughs> and I was like, everyone was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just leave. We'll, you know, we'll get another deal. And I was like, uh, I don't think that's a good idea, guys. Like, you know, we might get another deal. We, you know, that's the unknown. I'm putting all my eggs in the steady basket here because I knew I only had an A plan. I didn't have no B plan. Like after the band finished, I was like, what? I have no idea what I'm going to do. And that's a, that was like age 20. Um, so anyway, we, we made, I think, the wrong decision to leave the record company. And um, we, we, um, we had a few deals come our way, but they weren't right. And then we, were, we set up our own label and we put out Killing Position um, and just done it, we put it out. 
Um, and that was pretty cool, you know, because we we're like, oh, maybe we do know what we're kind of doing. Um, but then everything became sort of, because we were doing it all ourselves, everything became about kind of business and like how we're going to pay some bill for some, I don't know, like truck that we've rented or van that we've rented to go and do a gig up north or whatever it is. So everything became like meetings upon meetings upon meetings about different business things. And it kind of sucked the joy out of what Symposium really was. And so we just didn't, we couldn't manage it all. And then by this point, yeah, Haggot was like, mate, I've had enough. I'm I'm going to uni. And um, I was like, well, right then, fair play, mate. Um, Off you go. I mean, I was was sad he left, but um, he went first. And then I was like, I was like, right, guys, well, Hagop's gone. So, uh, you know, we'll just find another guitar player and we'll carry on. We, we, let's keep going, right? We'll just keep pushing forwards. Where was like, oh, uh, Voitech's left. And I was like, oh, no. Um, and it turned into a black comedy. It was like, mm. oh, oh, well, Voitech's left. That's all right, Will. That's all right, Jay. <laughs> we'll still carry on. Because <laughs> I was just determined to keep the band going. I was like, I can't, this can't end. And uh, yeah, it was a, 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 and Will just looked at me like, Ross, come on, <laughs> like it's, that's it, you know, like, and I was like, no, come on, we can still go, we can still do it. Oh, just keep Symposium's name, get a bloody fucking anyone in, let's, you yeah. work these risks, let's do it. But it went to be, you know, and uh, so that was that basically. And so like Will and Joe obviously done Hell is for Heroes. And then I was, I was just left on my own. Um, and that was it so for, for, and for me it was it, it, it was very traumatic yeah I bet yeah it was kind of like um, it was like a bereavement or losing mm. a friend or, or you know because like um, yeah full on tough times it, it, well it was kind of weird you know it's weird because it's like you've gone from school doing this thing for six years that you know, I broke bones for that band. I, yeah. like, I, I, I lived and breathed that band. It was 100%. That's all I wanted to do. And then it ended. So the, and then it's like, well, oh, my God, like, what, what am I going to do? Like, I, I've got no job. I, like, I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent. Right. Um, and it, I, it, there was just, that was it. So it, it was a very, um, it was very hard kind of time. But luckily, um, you know, I got through it all fine. And I, like, I got a job everything was all right you know it's cool like uh, i got back on my feet but yeah it was just like it really was just not a nice time for me personally um but i went back to the things i loved you know like because yeah you know like the whole band the whole thing was supposing was I, I was just doing it for myself you know it didn't matter to me about um what anyone thought of our band or you know any reviews we've got anything i just didn't care all i cared about was was that I was doing what I wanted to do and I was playing gigs and having fun and stuff. That's all I cared about, you know? Um, and so then I just went back to doing things I enjoyed, you know, I had a job that was bringing in a bit of money. I started, I was skateboarding all the time. I was writing lyrics. Um, and I was doing things kind of for myself again and, and actually right. having a bit of time to spend with like people like family and, you know, um, you know, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and yeah, so it it was okay, you know, and um, yeah, kind of just 
I'd kind of had it with music then. I was like, oh, I'm never going back in the music industry now, man, that's it. <laughs> and then, uh, and then um, there, there was a guy um, who knew Hagop again, um, who's okay. an Armenian chap called Arik Kandarjan. And uh, wow. he, um, he persuaded me to start a band with him. And he was like, come Ross, you're a good front man. You know, you can, you could do a band, like come do a band with me. And he played bass. So um, he got me back into music again. Um, and I started a band called Paper Cuts um, with Eric Kandarjan, Ben Thornton played guitar, and Toby um, Barber played drums. Um, and we, we, wrote, uh, we demoed a whole album. And again, I was just doing it for myself. I didn't even care about getting signed or anything, but we'd done a great album, like really amazing album. We released one EP um, that you can get probably on eBay or something. Yeah, and uh, that was really good. And we, we we played around London a lot, and done. We actually supported Biffy Cryro actually on a on a tour. Okay. Uh, and that was good. Um, and but it was all just like a bit of fun, you know. Just doing just doing what I want to do, and um, yeah. And then uh, and Boytech then ended up joining. He ended up playing bass for a bit as well. So we were kind of back together <laughs> for a bit, and it was weird. Like yeah, it was kind of kind of mad. Really. I was I was going to ask you about paper cuts because they obviously there's no there's you know we're talking about symposium and in a minute we're going to chat and celebrate the fact that symposium music has appeared on Spotify and everything that's going on. <laughs> when is when's the paper cuts going to stuff going to appear? Yeah, I've already had Ben going. Oh man, he's like oh like Ben's from Halifax. He's like Ross, we've got to get paper cuts back together. Like it's like let's uh, let's why don't you support yourself? <laughs> I, was like, I was like i'll be knack- i'll be knackered then yeah that'd be a lot but like we, 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 we played some um great shows man like um we used to play at art rock club a lot in london oh yeah in highbury we were there every week more or less every tuesday I was down there yeah it's it's a, it a bit of a more heavy hardcore-esque band if i remember rightly Ish, yeah, it was like um, we were a bit like the Liars. I don't know if you ever heard that first Liars oh, yeah. album. It's yeah, it's okay. like quite a, quite abrasive sort of like yeah, just punky kind of thing, really. Um, yeah. But we did have tunes, um, and we were we got really obsessed with bands like Mission of Burma and the Wipers and like those eighties sort of bands around that time period. Uh, yeah, kind of liked all them them sort of bands. <laughs> And Ben was big into sort of like emo. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I hate saying that word, but he he, <laughs> he was he was into to emotional music. But he he liked all the stuff on Revelation Records, you know, and Jay Tree and Deep Elm, and I mean, I did as well, you know, like bands like Texas is the Reason and Sensefield and uh, I don't know all that sort of all that sort of stuff, you know, and yep. Cursive. Um, all those kind of bands, but that's that. I made a little playlist for you on Spotify um, with all those bands on it, actually, of around that that time period. So I'll send that to you guys. Yeah, and we'll whack it in the um, the episode notes for for people to yeah. go and enjoy. Um, yeah, yeah. I've got. I put like I've just because it's the emo podcast. I put. I tell you, I'll, I'll name a few on there. I go had, on. Um, Texas is the reason. Nice. I had Far. I had the Get Up Kids. I had Jimmy World. I had Chavez. Um, nice. I stuck understand on there. Stapleton, do you ever remember them? Yeah, yeah. yeah from were they from Wales? I want to. I don't know. Wales. 
think I don't right. know anyway. was it Scotland? I don't know. Oh, but they, I remember, same I thing. Remember, <laughs> I remember they were part of like they knew Larry and all that lot. Like they're yeah, from yeah, other reasons. They're like the um, Kingston lot. There's like a load of good bands from Kingston as well, like up that way. But um, yeah, who else? I had Jawbreaker, Dag Nasty, Cable. Do you remember Cable? Yeah, I love Cable. I, I, I don't. They they could have done. They could have got. They could have been like the English Nirvana. I think mm. they were on Infectious. They were good. Um, Van Pelter on there, Knapsack, Chrissy Font Drive, Braid. I put at the driving on the Jets to Brazil, 100 Reasons, Pinback. I don't know if they're emo, but I put them on there. Do you, do you ever listen to Pinback? No, but it's the, Mate, great. the rest of them, though, is uh, Dismemberment is... Plan. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember them? Yeah. Um, Fabric, Evergreen, Jacob's Mouse. Um, Sam, Sam, I am. Yep. Q and not you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice. There's a hundred tracks on there for you, man. Wicked. Well, we'll we'll put that in the episode notes for people to to go and enjoy. Um, on that note, before we start talking about the exciting reunion, um, should we play a song? We haven't played a song for a while. Should we play a song off, um, the album? Off on the outside. Is, have you got any favourites from from that album? Oh, well, um, yeah, and in the end, I guess. Did we play that already? No, we no. We, we, we briefly discussed it, but yeah, yeah let's play end, that. It's, it's, the end. it's a classic. So this is The End by Symposium. Okay, so let's talk about the, the reunion. Um, so when we spoke to Will about six months ago or so, um, he actually said to us, I think this was actually off, <laughs> off the podcast um no, but he was, was it was he, on the podcast yeah. he, he, oh, was it say, he said yeah he said he said oh i hope i'm not spoiling anything here but yeah 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 he spot, mentioned it um but, but he also fine. said fine. yeah he also said that um that chatting about symposium on on the podcast had got him really kind of thinking about it and it coincided with you guys all kind of speaking about it um so who who started those conversations and how how did it come up yeah, it was like, well, I mean, um, well, I mean, to start with, I, I should say thank you to um, this guy called Alan Lonsdale, who he, he passed away, sadly. Um, and another guy um, uh, called Andrew, who basically, um, he, so uh, there's this guy, right, called um, Alan Lonsdale, who um, he sort of like, kept bothering us constantly basically about like getting onto uh onto um well number one getting the band back together number two just getting on spotify and sort of like uh um you know just getting our music out back out there again yep. so he put loads of stuff up he set up like a little website for us before facebook was about and sort of done all that kind of stuff and then though there's a, and so that was great, you know, and I'm really grateful to him for doing that. Um, but, and then there was another guy um, who set up our Facebook page and his aim was just to get us back together. And he just used to bother me all the time saying, come on, we're on <laughs> And I'd like used to have a laugh with him just on text, you know, like top, top lad. Um, but then, yeah, we, so basically we kept getting asked, why is your music not on streaming servers, blah, 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 services, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we were approached by um, 
uh, Cooking Vinyl Records, who said that, that you know they'd be happy to reissue our old albums and get us onto streaming services. And so we were like, well, hell yeah. And uh, there was a guy um, who's our manager um, who, who basically helped us, um, you know, kind of sort all that out. So in turn, uh, like really grateful to him as well uh, for, for that. And uh, yeah, he's called Dave as well. Everyone I know these days is called Dave for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, yeah. So, you know, like, we're all big vinyl fans and actually Voitech's a massive CD fan as well. So to get the opportunity to, you know, release all this stuff is like proper cool, you know. And it was nice because we could just do it all ourselves as well. There's no pressure. Um, and we work with Scarlett Page on the album artwork. Um, she's um, she's like a sort of fairly well-known photographer. And like we, we, we'd done a lot of stuff with her in the early days. So she's got loads of snaps of us when we were younger. Yeah. She was Kerrang um, photographer, wasn't she? Indeed, indeed, yep, in, one indeed, of them. yeah, yeah. Um, and her dad's a pretty good guitar player, actually. Um, yeah, so that was it, man. Yeah. And so, the um, the show it, been, has been announced. We, yeah, we've announced the show, and there's only uh, I think today I got told there was only a hundred tickets left. Okay. So this place it holds eight hundred and fifty. And yeah, there's like a hundred tickets left. So that's after a week of going on sale. Um, so that's really encouraging to me. Cause at first I was like, Oh, are you sure? Like, <laughs> like oh, I want to come and see us. Um, and it turns out people do want to come and see us. And um, you know, that that's been lovely, you know. It's and it's been, I tell you what's been really good um for me. Uh is it's just seeing um, just people's comments and memories that people have left on the um, Facebook page as well. You know, um, yep. you know, a lot of the people on there, they're all the same age as us. They're like in their late thirties or early forties or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's really nice to see like all their pictures and their sort of memories of, you know, like gigs and, and, and all that sort of uh, thing, you know, cause it, it's sort of, um, I'd kind of, like when symposium ended, just sort of try in my head, just sort of, sort of tried to detach myself from it, you know, from mm. my own kind of mental health, just to sort of go, oh, that was just something I'd done, and yeah, oh, you know, didn't really mean much to anyone, probably, and uh, yeah, and then, but then doing this reunion now, it's like, it's it's like it's validating, it's it's giving yeah. me some validation. It's like, well, no, what we've done was good, and it did mean something to people, and mm. you know, people have a lot of memories and. Um, attached to them and you know it means a lot to people you know like some of these songs you know meant it meant something to people and it it, it stands the test of time now like when you listen to the tracks they still sound they still sound fresh to me um so you know like that's something really special yeah for sure and i mean you can take it from from us it it means a hell of a lot to a lot of people and um it's it's been exciting like watching you know the the show being announced and the even just the songs appearing on spotify it sounds like such a small thing but it's like finally this day has come like it was like all the christmases come at once um, <laughs> it was a bit weird it was a bit weird the day, the day it went on like the day it got announced on um facebook uh it was it was really bad time because i think it got announced at like 10 o'clock and i was in a meeting at work 
um, with a, 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 a Japanese team, like they were Japanese and um, it, they had a, an interpreter on there as well. Um, so I was, my phone was going mental and I was in this meeting talking about configuration management, item discovery, which is what I do. It's like, it's like computer stuff, like IT stuff. And then talking to um, Japanese, a Japanese lady who was then translating what I was saying, you know, back to her team. Right. And so when she was translating it back, I was just reading all the comments and going, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they'd ask me a question and I'd be like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, did did you know my uh, band's on Spotify today? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's again, it's kind of funny. People at work, some people at work, got sort of found out as well, and they were like, I cannot believe, like the Ross we know, like because yeah. in 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 real life, I'm kind of normal, I think, more or less. <laughs> yeah, but like when I get given a microphone. Um, yeah it's like i'm let off the lead like i i i i i feel kind of like uh myself almost uh yeah Uh, like like if you give me a mic and you put me on the fucking stage i'm i just go mental i'm like ready to rock it's totally not like like people meet me and they just maybe they're just disappointed they're like oh you're not this crazy dude like you're kind of you're fairly normal (laughs) You know what I mean? So but I, yeah. Yeah, I think with, with things, the thing about being a frontman is like, in general, when I was younger, I was, I was quite shy, kind of shy, not shy, but not, I don't know, I had to force myself onto the stage and make myself do it um, because okay. I thought if I didn't do it, I never would. And um, it was kind of like, you, it's quite, you know, you could be quite vulnerable going on stage, you know? Like when you go on, it's not normal, is it, to like go on stage and just go mental in front of a load of people? Like it's not, it's not normal, really. Is it? But it's like, you know, to be a good frontman, I think you, you have to be kind of vulnerable. You have to be fearless, just and let your inhibitions go, and just you know, just tap into your primal sort of consciousness or whatever, and um, you know, just become a vessel for the sort of you know, for the you know, conveying sort of emotions of the song singing um kind of to the audience right mm. um and I, I think you know a good frontman should be feared and loved in equal measures you know like you look at people like iggy pop or zach de la rocha, rocha or cedric from say like at the drive-in or even me liam gallagher or like i mean the list is ended like john lydon like mike Patton, even like um that lad from idols like joe talbot you know, when they perform, they're slightly unhinged and unpredictable. And there's like, there's an energy and a vitality in what they're doing, you know? And I think people like that, you know, like when you go to a gig, you want to leave the real fucking world at the door. I want to forget about the real world and have this communal experience with people, you know, feel the same as you, like the same music as you. And you can leave that gig on cloud nine, feeling empowered, you know, gigs can be life-changing, man. I mean, I'm sure you guys have been to gigs where you left just thinking like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go and just smash it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. That was with the entirety of my 20s and half my 30s. Um, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I saw Tool this week at um, the Ooh. O2 
And yeah, Tool are amazing. I saw them a few times back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about a unhinged front man, but b a completely transformative or transportative, I guess, experience into like another world. Yeah. And I'd forgotten in lockdown what that was like the way that live music can totally transport you into a different place yeah incredible. Yeah. it's like music that's what music does it, that's what yeah. music does it it, it, it the music right so i love music i don't know i love music that's all i've known like basically anything i've ever done or achieved mm-hmm. is because of music it, it's just like my guiding force and my lifeline even the job i'm doing now is because of music because i've got i've got or, or but, but everything everything i've ever done is because music uh-huh. you know music equals empowerment and freedom rock and roll it, it pokes and it, it prods at you know the fringes of conformity until it wakes you up and that, that's what i just fucking love rock and roll i love it <laughs> yeah. i'm just like yeah yeah, yeah, we hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and with that in mind, so um, the prospect of playing, singing these songs again after all these years, how, how do you feel about I think you're going to say you're quite excited. <laughs> how yeah, how, how do you wait. feel about that? I can't wait. Are you going to go wait. as nuts as you used to? Someone, someone on Fully. Instagram wanted to know if you're going to be as nuts Fully. as you used to. Worse. Worse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I tell you what, we're not going to be smashing up any gear, that's for sure, because uh, that's right. that's kind of sad, you know. A, a man in his on the wrong side of forty, man. I'm not, I'm not going to be smashing stuff up for sure. But like, in fact, I've done a gig with paper cuts like um, a while back, and the the guy that was doing the sound there, he just had it in for me. Like, as soon as I walked into the building, because he he knew about symposium and he knew. You know, we were a bit. We used to smash gear up and all that. Yeah. And then I went there, and I went. I wasn't going to smash anything up. And uh, even in the sound check, the microphone fell apart. Um, it wasn't plugged in, or it just it just broke and fell apart. Right. And he was like, "Oh, he's broken stuff already." Fuck. <laughs> I don't do nothing. <laughs> Actually, I remember another time we played a gig with Symposium, and Bernard Butler was on the side of the stage. Okay. And uh, he was watching us, and he's an, obviously an amazing guitar player. And I remember yeah. Will smashing his guitar up, and Bern, the, the look of disgust on <laughs> Bernard Butler's face—I'll never forget. He was just like, "Oh my god, you filthy children!" Like, he was just like <laughs> completely disgusted. But yeah, we used to just like our little thing that we used to do, and like there was that Reading show we'd done as well, where we just went mental at the end and just smashed everything up, and we didn't realise that the, the the we didn't at the end we didn't really understand why all the sound people all the, the the roadies all the people there were going they got really angry and they kind of one of them punched me and like oh, really? i think one of them hit, hit hagop and that I, I, uh, I couldn't figure it out i mean i was like why are they getting all angry it's one fucking fucking rock band man like well you know we're on stage i don't know like fucking who done this sort of shit what's up with you and uh turned out that the microphones on the drum kits are worth an absolute fortune they're like they were those clip-on mics yeah um and that's what they were trying to save because they were using those mics for all the other bands Uh, (laughs) so um so that was it and you know i don't obviously i don't blame them for that um so um 
but then you know that's when you're young I suppose you do silly things like that don't you but yeah there's gonna be none of that going on um and speaking of rocks actually we when we played with Metallica um we we shared we were in the dressing room and um we uh, that band Terrorvision came in oh yeah and uh, yeah. we we were like with them and we we were sort of friends with them um but by the time they come in most of the beers had gone and then they had to go and step they we had to leave or something and then that band um queens of the stone age came in to the same dressing room with them they were sharing it we were basically we drank the beer we left terrorvision went in queens of the stone age went in to the same dressing room and they were sharing it uh-huh. we stood outside and then all of a sudden we just hear like boom, 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 all this commotion going on and um this is quite well known i don't know if any, you know about this but they they got in a big fight with queens of the stone age over the dressing room um and i don't know yeah. i don't really, I don't really know what happened. I hope it's not over the beers because we drunk more. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, and uh, that guy, Nick, is it Nick Oliver? Nick, Nick Oliver? Whatever. Yeah. He got arrested. Yeah. I remember that, man. And I remember that at that time, that was before Queens were big. And I was like, hey, what sort of name is Queens of the Stone Age? It sounds like it's a weird name, isn't it? Yeah. But, but, but then we saw them and we were like, wow, they're really good. Yeah. Um, and so there's a one-off show at the moment. Any, I you know, thoughts of a tour or anything like that? Anything I'll else fuck, going I'll on? Fucking, I'll fucking tour to the end of my life, man, you know? Like, if I'm given a chance <laughs> to be on stage in a rock band, singing to people who want to listen to my big god, I'm there. I'll do it till I die. I, nice. I, I want to be in this band. I, I, I would love to have, I would love for Symposium to have done, you know, six albums yeah. and be living in LA. But... <laughs> didn't work out that way but like you know if i'm given the opportunity to do something i do it i say yes to everything so uh, like you know it, it i don't know if there will be more shows mm-hmm. but if i have my way there will be okay we'll take that and i'll get lynched if i don't ask this final question is there going to be any new music potentially yeah because I mean, we've got. I mean, that we're really we're releasing that song. Um, it's, I mean, it's insane to think we were going to release it as a single in 1999 because it's got swear words in the chorus. But um, yeah, we're going to release that song "Bleach in Your Motherfucking Eye." Okay. Um, that's, I guess, I guess that's new. Um, but we've got some other material. We've got loads of material basically that we recorded and never done anything with. There's loads. So, nice. you know, it, it just depends really on who's available or who wants to give their time to it, you know. I'll give my time to anything, really, more or less. So, I mean, I'm up for it. And if if Woj or, like, Joe, Will, whatever, I got up for it, then I'm game. But I think Will, you know, Will is, um, you know, he's, he's banging to Hellispheres, obviously, for the right reasons, and Joe, so... Yeah, we'll see. Really, it's all the unknown, really. But I mean, mm. just to just to do this one-off gig is is very special. It's it's going to be good. It's going to be it's going to be properly good. Well, we are super happy that you know all this is happening after all these years, 
um thank you so much for taking the time to come on the pod and all the awesome stories you've literally met every famous rock band there is <laughs> live the dream i'm like an old i'm like an old man rattling on about oh, <laughs> oh i was in a band creme brulee <laughs> <laughs> do you ever watch um do you ever watch the league of gentlemen yes, oh god no. back in the day do you remember that guy in it? He, got, he was in. He said he, there was that guy, and he was always like, "I was in a band called Creme Brulee." <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember him? That's me. Yes, <laughs> yes, I do. Excellent work. Um, let's choose a song to end the interview with. Is there a particular favourite? Um... I did want to say. I did want to give a shout out actually. To oh yeah, band. of course. Um, yes, do that. Yeah. There is um, a band called Emergency Radio, and um, they're from Hitchin um, in Hertfordshire, and um, they're local boys, and they've just done like a, an album now. Uh, it's on Spotify, and um, they were really influenced by A and um, I'll say Symposium as well. Um, but yeah, they their new albums are banger, and they've just put it out themselves, and it's just proper good punk rock so i'd really if that's okay like to um you know give a shout out to them and uh yeah they've got a song called uh into the undertow which is uh, a bit of a banger okay and the band was called emergency radio emergency radio and they're emo dads they're all emo dads nice okay well um on that note then we will say thank you ross for taking the time to chat to us um and this is, was it Into the Undertow? Correct. By Emergency Radio. That's the one, man. Everybody enjoy. What a lovely man. Amazing. Amazing. What a dude. Um, so many great stories. I feel I like we, we, we could have got like another four hours at least. Yeah. I mean, the 90s sound fucking mental. I was, I'm, I'm constantly annoyed. I'm like five years younger than I am. Because <laughs> <laughs> it feels like all that shit was a bit over a bit five years later. But yeah, mentals. Absolutely love that. Really enjoyed that. Lots of running around. I mean, like, I never, would I ever have imagined he was running around, like being mates with Robbie Williams, bringing Kai Minogue drinks um, from a free bar. And then part, I mean, amazing. Just never, never would have guessed. Love it. Yeah, what what a great bunch of stories. Um, and so happy that Symposium are back. Yeah. So and I'm very happy that, like, they've come to peace with things and are kind of talking again and mates and doing things. It's 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 a nice... I It, it feels great to, 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 I don't know, round things off. I was going to mm. say like square a circle. Is that a thing? Is that a no. thing people do? You can't square circles. Square in a square in a round, a brown peg in a square hole in a circle. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> right. Should we do some uh, some admin? Yeah, man. So, hopefully, you all enjoyed that little interview with Ross. Um, if you did, or even if you didn't. I mean, if you didn't enjoy it and you're still listening now, then <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> um, but fair play to you. Um, 
give us a little rating. Yep. Yep. Do that. What's the rule? More than four. More than, than four, six. less than six. Um, tip jar. Yeah. Give, give us some money. Yeah. For the train ticket to go to the Q&A. Yeah, it's important because we want to go to that. Um, and trains are expensive these days. Uh, follow. There's a follow button. Follow us. Click on that. That's the thing. Um, send us your stories of meeting 90 celebrities. Yeah. At podcast at gmail.com, our dusty email account. Um, I know we've, we've got an email from, we had an email from Jason Perry. We did have an email from Jason Perry from A. So that's exciting. That's a, that's a step in the right direction. <laughs> we're, we're progressing. Progressing. <laughs> um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, and follow us on Instagram. Uh, email dad podcast at instagram.com send mr buck abuse keep him interested comment on our little posts um that keeps us all excited yep i like all that um is that everything yeah i think so okay nice uh playlists are in the the thing the notes stuff yeah. uh we'll stick ross's playlist in there as well is email playlist yeah. thanks for that ross can't wait to um, start that and uh and yeah should we finish with a symposium song yes um okay thanks for listening everyone this is disappear by symposium